What's beautiful about God is when you really start meditating on him, you realize how thankless we are because he's been so good to us. Let's dive up in this Bible today. Y'all all right? Y'all all right? Amen, amen, amen. Well, every year during about this time, we do what's called a state of the church address. And this state of the church address is really for us as a church to know and to appreciate and to thank God for where we've been, look at some challenges about where we are or have been, and where is he taking us next. So it's always good during this time to just meditate on that, and don't worry, um, we're going to be in the Bible. I know when some people hear that, they're like, oh, he's just going to talk about news clippings and stuff, but we are going to be in the Bible here, amen? Amen, amen, amen. Let's turn over to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. We're going to stay there for all of our time today. And I'm going to do sort of an overview of the book. For those of you who was with us before launch, if y'all remember, we we walked through this line by line. We're probably going to do this again in the near future. But in light of the state of the church address, I thought it extremely important for us to dive into this. And I think there's some challenges for us to look through. But what's beautiful about challenges is God always brings his people through them if they submit to him and, 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 and walk with him based on his word. The book of Titus is an interesting book. Um, it, it's a book that basically background wise was written by Paul um, at some point in his imprisonment, his last imprisonment. I don't know if he was on the porch he was on because if you look at Acts chapter uh, 28, he was on the porch teaching. The word of God. And what's so crazy, what's so powerful about this dude is he had, he, he, back then, they, you know, when they transported prisoners, they didn't transport prisoners like we transport prisoners. You know, if you see a prison transportation deal, you see like an a, a old school bus that's painted white and then it's like caged all up. You know, well, back in those days, they didn't transport prisoners like that. They transported prisoners on ships. And then their buddies could actually go with them to prison without being in prison with them. And hang out with him. So possibly on one of the trips, which you see Crete being mentioned in Acts in chapter 27, it is a possibility that this is when they made a trip to Crete. Now, what was so funny and powerful about their time in Crete, right, is he's in prison. He got some of his young bucks with him, some of the cats he poured into, right? And so, and so, and so they start sharing the gospel on Crete, on the Isle of Crete. Crete is an island off the coast of Italy. Um, and below Greece. And, and, and it's kind of like a V. And if you go on a V from both, you hit Crete, the Isle of Crete, and some other islands around Crete. And they shared the gospel with some, with some, with some, uh, with some Cretans. Now, you got to understand, it ain't like today, like when we go to some place and you, and you see a church steeple in the city. There was no such thing as church when they preached the gospel. In that context, all they knew was, of idol gods and worship temple, worshiping temples, and all they knew was Judaism. There may have been synagogue there, which the text would probably prove that. But what's so powerful is they began preaching the gospel, and Christians all over the Isle of Crete in every single city trusted Jesus Christ. Now, all of these brand spanking new Similac drinking Christians were now on the scene in need of deep help and deep discipleship Paul is in prison and he needs company. I don't know about you, but if I was locked up, I would want all the company I could get. Now, he's going to imprisonment. He's going to meet Caesar and he appealed to Caesar, all of that. He's going to talk to Caesar based on his calling in Acts chapter 9. But you see him say, Titus, as much as I want you to hang out with me and keep me company, hold the parchments for me, which later you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he'll tell Timothy to bring all his stuff to him because he left it all. Because the way he got locked up, crazy lock up. You know, they don't let you take nothing. You know what I'm saying? I know y'all seen that on the block. Cats just T-shirt and jeans. That's it. So Paul was in the same situation. But Paul, thinking more of the new Christians that have come into existence than his own company, says, Titus, I want you to fall back. Stay in Crete. And I want you to do some stuff and put in order some things that will help the church of God 
grow beyond us just sharing the gospel with them, but we want to see Christ formed in them. So therefore, let's put in place everything that is needed to make sure that Christians, these brand spanking new Christians, and you'll see the age groups is powerful when you get to chapter two of all those new Christians. But we want you to, we want you to hang out there for a while. And, and this is beautiful for us as a church because these were new church plants all over the Isle of Crete. Titus is staying there and Paul is leaving him there. And he tells him some key things. And there's three things that we're going to talk about today in talking about this text biblically. And we're going to spend a lot of time doing some great extractions from the scriptures for our lives. But then we're going to talk about Epiphany Fellowship in relation to this. And so what, what he does is he tells them to put in place three things. Three things. Leadership, discipleship, and mission. Can you say that? Leadership, discipleship, and mission. Now, he wants him to do these three things because without these three things, the church can't be healthy. If it would have just been Christians and they would have been making disciples and no mission, and had, the, had the disciples but no leadership and no mention, mission, there wouldn't have been any clarity of doctrine and practice. And then, they, and then they wouldn't have been sharing the gospel. It would have just been just those forever. And then after they died, there would have been no legacy of the gospel. Now, if they had leadership without discipleship and mission, you would have just had Gentile lords. If you'd have had mission without leadership and discipleship, what you would have had is a bunch of people meeting Jesus but can't walk with anyone above where they are spiritually. So in order to have comprehensive execution of God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things where the proper health of a church is put in place. It's executed in the scriptures now based on what Paul is telling Titus to put in place, which is leadership, discipleship, and mission. Let's read verses one through five. We're going to do an overview of this, but we're going to spend a lot of time in these scripts. Y'all with me? All right. This is Paul, a servant. I like that. The fact that he calls himself a servant before he calls himself an apostle. He says, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect. I like that. And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness as character that reflects Jesus Christ in the hope in hope of eternal life. Which God, who never lies, promised before ages began. I, I could Lord have mercy. I wish I could. But that's not what I'm talking about today. But I want to say something. Anyway, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and of Christ Jesus, our Savior. I love that. Now most, now, most of the New Testament, most of the Bible was written to communities of Christians, of faith, or God's people. However, you have a few that are written to individuals, yet have corporate implications. Titus is one of those books. So we go here, and he's talking through, and he's kind of laying a foundation of endearment. This is a cat he has a relationship with. This is a guy that he's poured into. This is a guy that he probably led to Christ. And after leading him to Christ, walked with him from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, he became beastly enough to the point where he became an apostolic delegate. Say apostolic delegate. Apostolic delegate means you're not an apostle because they died 2,000 years ago. Whole nother story. I ain't saying nothing. What y'all talking about? Y'all always saying something. Anyway, but, but... But, 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 but what they did was they mantled them, if you will, with their authority when they left them in a particular place as an extension of the authority that was given to the apostles in Christ was now implemented in the execution of the authority of the apostle to the apostolic delegate. Y'all with me? Trying to chop it up. And so, and so he was left there to do something in particular. Now, verse 5 is, is booming because it lays it out for us. Look at verse 5. It says... This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. I like that. I like that. Now, this dude has become, now, that's amazing to me, that Paul was a beastly enough disciple maker to dis the lead a guy to Christ and not leave him out there, but get in community with him, pour into him, 
he comes from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity is not just elder material, but able to be over making sure that the churches were implemented in cities. He was so beastly spiritually, I can't talk about it now, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul got depressed, he, he had a counsel, the person he led to Christ and grew up in the faith sat down with him and had a counseling session with him, and he started ministering and shepherding and discipling Paul. Read it when you get a chance. <laughs> Powerful. That, you, you're a disciple maker. When you minister to somebody and they can come back and walk with you in the same way you walk with them. I wish I could stay there, but we're going to talk about that later. But that's so powerful to me that, 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 that he has that type of even humility to posture himself towards one of the people he discipled, that, that, that he's invested enough in him to say, I trust what you say to me, fam. So I'm going to leave you in the care of all the churches on this island. Now, you're not to stay there forever. I want you to set in order what remains. Therefore, I want you to set up leadership, discipleship, and mission. Y'all with me still? And so he does this to make sure that God's people are properly in place and everything is in order so that the nutrition and basic things that make faith healthy and the church healthy, that they're in place. So where have we been as a church in relation to this as we talk about health? And we're going to go continue to go through the book and overview it. We, we were in the preparing seasons a long time ago, not long time ago, Epiphany is a a, a, a three-year-old church. Now, when we say church plant, do y'all know what that means? Who doesn't know what that means? Who knows what a church plant means? Who knows what that means? Okay, a church plant is when you, when, when you gather believers and start what's called a church, um, a local community of believers who seek to gather in a particular place and scatter in a particular place for honoring and glorifying God. Now, I can't talk to you now about what makes a church a church, but I wanted you to know to talk about that. Now, somebody would say, well, why would you plant a church in a community where there are a lot of churches? Because there are 50,000 people in this zip code, and the average church in this community has 25 to 50 people in it. So therefore, we don't have enough churches. If all of the churches in, in the region, we got 1.2 million people in Philly. If all of the churches with, with people gathered were filled with people, it would still be over a million people that would not be able to sit down in a local community with people. And so, therefore, we don't have enough of them. Okay? And so, and so, and so, and so we, we saw fit based on that passion to see, just like in Crete, there was an unpeople reach, unreached people group there. We saw here that there was an unreached people group in every urban center in America. America has now become an unreached people group. And it was never a Christian country. That was for free. I'll talk to you about the deistic philosophies of the founders of America when we get a chance. But they weren't theists. They weren't classical theists. They were classical, structural, functional deists. And you can see it in our Constitution. We'll talk about that later. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, we planned it because of that reason. Because there are unreached people groups in this city who don't know what justification means who don't know what, 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 uh, what communion means. Like you use the Christian salvation and cross, and they don't understand none of that stuff because they didn't grow up in a Christian home or a society where the Christian ease were connected to their ability to culturally and, uh, 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 and intellectually, volitionally, and uh, 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 to understand. So therefore, we have to engage them. So that's why, so we had the preparing season. Then we went from the preparing season, to the gathering season, which pre, what we call launch before you do Sunday morning, we were gathering people. Unbelievers and believers. What crazy happened during this period is we saw people getting gathered and started being here, and they started, people grew up in the church and found out that they never heard the gospel before. We started hearing people say, I was in the church all my life, but you know what? This is the first time I actually heard the gospel. People come up after and say, I think I just got saved. I was like, really? And they'll break down the gospel. I was like, dang. They said, I never knew that. So I know I wasn't saved. We were doing a covenant community one time, which is our membership class, and I, I was led to share the gospel. I just felt real convicted, shared the gospel with them right the Sunday they were getting the right hand of fellowship, and 50% of them came to Jesus that morning. I'm just telling you there's a need here. And so we're in the gathering season and continuing to do that. 
we went through the development season as, as you gather all of those Christians and new believers and all that. You got you to develop systems because God does all things based on 1 Corinthians 14 and decency and what? So we had to put in place the development season to kind of put some basic infrastructure to the church, which we're going to talk about some of that today that's done, some of that's that's undone. Now we're in what's called the mentoring season. Say mentoring season. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I wanted you to get an understanding of where we have been as a church, as a gathered community uh, within, within the body of Christ. Now, put in order what remained. Now, what specifically uh, 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 is he to put in order what remained? So what, what, what was done before this? I kind of got ahead of myself. So, but what's interesting is they would, this is what they would normally do when they went to a place. They would preach the gospel to the entire city. Acts 14, 21. Then they would disciple the new converts and expect the new converts to become disciple makers. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 2. That means the disciple making is not just up to the pastors and deacons. But it's up to the entire gathered people of God to take responsibility for the Christian faith in such a way that your life is reproducible and you can pour into somebody else. Appoint qualified leaders from that bunch. So therefore, there has to be qualified pastors or leaders that are set up in that particular context. And then from there, commit the commit. Um, to accountable autonomy. Now, what do we mean by that? When they, after that, they would, when they said, dang, y'all, it's done. Like when the process is complete, not, not that they're fully mature, but when the process is complete where they don't need surrogate parents anymore, um, they would do what's called commend them to the Lord's grace. Some denominations call it particularization. And what they would do is they would fall back and say, y'all are up and running. You all can run yourselves without any outside help. Go ahead and begin the same process from this church around your region, and we're gone to the next region to do what hasn't been done there yet. But we want your ministry support. So they ask them for some loot. They give it to them because they were impacted by it and saying, yo, we're going to make sure that you're able to do it in the next city, and that's the way Paul was able to stay a full-time minister. Now, the first thing they do was appoint elders or pastors. Now, look in verse 5. It says, to set in order what re remains and appoint elders in every town. That's powerful. So their disciple-making had to be good enough. Titus's disciple-making had to be good enough to where, to where he was able to develop over time. They would spend an average of two to three years in a particular place. And they would, they would admonish them all the time. They didn't just have Sunday morning gatherings. They, had, they got together all the time. But they were also not ingrown toenails, which we're going to talk about later. Okay. But, 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 they, but, 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 but he pointed elders, and this is what he told them. He says, he says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, Miasganikos Andros, one woman man, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Say sound doctrine. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, we're going to talk about sound doctrine in a, in, in, in a reality that is more broad than we're used to because most of us think of sound doctrine as information by itself. But when we look at the book of Titus, sound doctrine is massive. Massive in what it, in what, in what it actually means. So the first thing that they would do was appoint qualified leaders to shepherd the flock, to lead the flock, and to protect the flock. And so all of those things were done in particular in order to keep false teaching out, division, all types of things that they would do, which you'll see in chapter 3 later. But these were the reasons why they were put in place. Then the second thing that they would do was he wanted them to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Look, look, at, look at verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, powerful. He said, but as for you, they're talking to Titus. Then it's interesting because most people when they come to Titus 2, run to the rest of the verses in Titus 2. But you got to read verse 1 to understand what makes the environment for the rest of the chapter to come into existence and to be practiced properly. So it says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I like this. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine is teaching that is rightfully extracted from the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.15 transforms the soul of the Christian for spiritual health. James 1.21, Romans 12.1 and 2, and the Christians uh, and the Christian lives it out. That's sound doctrine. Let's allow that. Now let's talk about what sound doctrine means uh, lexicographically. The word for sound there is the word where we get hygiene from. Hygiene. Hygiene. Now, it, now when we think of hygiene, we think about you don't stink. That's what we think about. But the word is so much more deep than that. Let me let me see if I can make it plain. I, I didn't go to uh, I didn't go to the dentist till I was twenty years twenty two years old. You know, in the hood, we ain't nobody go to the dentist. We we maybe went to the emergency room when you got sick, no insurance, all y'all know how it is. And so, um, you know, some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all got some silver in your mouth, but um, others platinum. But and so and so, I first went, you know, I, you know, I thought I was good because you know I used to brush my teeth. A lot. I'd floss my teeth, and then after I floss, I used the Listerine so it can get all in the crevices of my teeth because I saw the commercial on TV how it stops all this stuff. So I thought if you, if you did that, you was good. Well, yeah, I got to the dentist, and the first thing he did before he looked at my teeth was take an X-ray of them because he didn't care about what I did to the surface of my teeth. He wanted to know what was under my teeth. And so what he did was he took an x-ray of it. He said, oh, my, oh, Lord, help us. He looking at it, and he looked at it, and then he, then he opened my mouth, and he did a cleaning. Now, he put this thing around my neck and laid it out, and then he went, I, now, I'd never been here before. I didn't even know it existed, except for when you got something caught there, under your gum. So he going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just going all through there and, and wiping it all off, and that thing was just filled up with gook and trash. He said, some of this part have been there since the mid-'70s for you, bro. You know what I'm saying? And so he got all of that out. Now, he, now, my mouth was so messed up that he couldn't work on all of it that day. I had to schedule multiple appointments. You, see, y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all schedule for the next appointment. I had to schedule all my next appointments. He said, I just got to do work, you know. And so, and so, and so, and so the next time I came, he drilled holes. In, he put this thing in my teeth. It hurt so bad. He, he, uh, he stuck in there and pulled it out real hard. He said, cavity, cavity. Cavity. I just had cavities all around, just rackadouchy cavities everywhere. So, you know, I watched different strokes, so I was always scared of the dentist anyway. And so he turned that drill on, and he started drilling away, and then he started refilling it with stuff that wouldn't damage me and would help me use my teeth again. See, that's what hygiene, biblical hygiene does. It doesn't just deal with the surface. It deals with stuff deep down within you, the gook the trash, the muck, and the dirt. It's not just about memorizing the information, but it's about being transformed by the information. And so when the Bible talks about teach what accords with sound doctrine, the word means to be comprehensively healthy. So the word of God is supposed to permeate every aspect of your soul and bring hygiene to it. Good hygiene. And the question is, is many times we think because we've implanted the information in our heads that it's done something hygiene-wise in our hearts. I wish I could stay there, but I got to move. But listen, it's, it's, it's right extraction, it's transformation, and it's living it out. It's all of the above. Oh, that's what it means to teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's talking about the information. Now, now, now check this out. I'm, I'm so excited right now. But look at the rest of chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to explain all this because we're going to go verse by verse through it. But I want you to hear the language of what accords with sound doctrine. Listen to what it looks like to teach what accords with sound doctrine for the purpose of transformation and application. Verse 2. He, he tells them to teach four groups in the church. I, I meant to say that. Four groups. Titus. And this is who he wants the leaders to teach. He wants them to teach older women, older men, younger men, younger women. Now check out what he says, that sound doctrine. This is what sound doctrine looks like. Not talks like, looks like. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, 
self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So the older women are supposed to be teaching the Bible. And so train the younger women. Now, now don't walk out on this part, because I know some of y'all on another level with yours. He said, and so train the younger women to love their husbands. It's interesting, the Greek word there is phileo, which means be their friend. And children. That's a whole nother... Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to keep moving. To be self-controlled, pure. Uh-oh, I'm about to lose you. Working at home. <laughs> kind. I'm about to lose another group. Submissive. I'm about to pray in the Holy Ghost right now for my life. To their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. Jesus Christ. Now that, I just read the verse. We didn't even explain nothing. Let's just keep going. Remember, I'm doing an overview. Verse 6, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled, and then he stops there. Now, what's funny is all he tells the younger men is to be self-controlled. He said, just, he said, you know what? <laughs> he said, if you just get the younger men to just do one thing, <laughs> do one thing. He said, he said, he said teach, yeah, keep, teach them to keep it tight. That's what he's saying, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Keep, keep your passions in check. Somebody ought to hear me today. Yeah, yeah. Then he tells Titus, he says, show yourself though. Now listen, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. But then he says, show yourself. So he's not, he's not saying talk. He says, show yourself. Even though that includes talking. But he says, show something based on the doctrine. Ah! That's me included, y'all. He, 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 said, he said, show yourself in your teaching, show integrity. Oh, before that, show yourself in all respects to model good works. That means do something what you talk about. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opportunity might be so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So he's supposed to teach everybody to be beastly disciples. Pour into them. Sound doctrine that turns into characteristics of spiritual nutrients and hygiene in their souls. So that means you have a community of people who are growing together and who are engaging one another together. But what's powerful about the passage is he doesn't want you to just stay there. Because we like to sing kumbaya around the campfire and cry and sing worship songs together, but not do anything outside of that. Let's make a holy huddle. Let's make a place that's nice for Christians to come. But later on, we're going to talk about if somebody broken comes, we don't have room for them. We'll talk about that in a second. Then he says, zealous for good works. Help cases of urgent need. Mission. Good works and uh, good and good works is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 8, 16. Chapter 2, verse 3, 7, 10, 14. Ver chapter 3, verses 1, 4, 8, and 14. Good or oh, good works. Throughout the entire book, y'all, good works is talked about. Now, What's interesting about this idea of good works is you hear the word for good works in the book more than you hear the word for sound doctrine. Now, you'll see the word sound, but you'll hear doctrine very little. Why? Because Titus has been discipled by Paul. So Titus knows a lot of doctrine. Now, I'm explaining this from the Bible, and we'll see that. 
But what he does is he does something he never does in his epistles. Usually Paul gives uh, orthodoxy, then orthopraxy. But what he does in this is he gives orthopraxy, then he gives orthodoxy. But he gives a snippet of it because he wants him to be more deeply interconnected with the truth in his practice also. So now look at verse 1 of chapter 3. I like this. This is monstrous. He says, remind them who? Everybody. Older women, older men, younger men, younger women. To be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. Now, which leaders is he talking about? Roman Empire. Who crucified Jesus Christ. He tells them, I want you to be submissive to them. As long as they're not violating the scriptures, be submissive to them. And guess else what I want you to do? I want you to serve them. Wow. That's what the text says. And he says to be ready. In other words, make yourself available to the city. So the context that God has placed you guys in, mainly the authority structures in the city. Even though it includes church leadership, here it's specifically talking about out there, how do we know that? It says, and this is what you do when you do that. This is the main way you do that. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now he said, now I know y'all think y'all fly, right, Christians? He said, and so I'm going to show you why we should do this. For we ourselves were once some fools. He said, see, we forget. We talk about how good Christianity is and how bad the world. He said, you were once a fool too. He said, this is what your foolishness looked like. You were disobedient. You you were led astray. You were slaves to various passions. I can't even name them all. I'm just going to say various. And, and, and pleasures, passing your, our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Then he gives the gospel as the reason why you do good works. Look at what he does. He says, he says but in contrary to that, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, epiphany, he s- saved us. Not because of works done by us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, some of us think we were cute enough to get saved. But he said, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but contrasting, conducting according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why? So that being justified by his grace... We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the reason why you do good works is because of God first did good works to us before we were saved. He said God didn't see anything good about us, but he initiated a missions program. And he was the first one to roll up his sleeves and do it. Like I said yesterday, Adam wasn't looking for God. He was hiding. And a pre-incarnate Christ came and hovered through the garden, chilling. Adam, yo, yo, where you at? He knew where he was because he has triple X-ray vision. But he wanted to show Adam that he was lost because now I got to look for you. You don't just come to me. And see, the the reason why we do missions is because we've been impacted by the gospel and we live eternally thankful for that impact. Therefore, we reach out to others because we are so blown away by the Savior who saves. That's what Paul said. That's what he's using this verse for. It's not to argue about whether the auto salute is, whether you put faith before region. That's not even what he's putting. That's not here what we're talking about here. He's talking about specifically in this passage about what should motivate us doing good to people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. So these good works, it's interesting. Whoa, 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 what just happened? Oh, my God, what I do? I know I did. I know it was me. Now, good works and good and sound doctrine in Titus is giving equal standing. One is not better than the other. (laughs) Now, listen to this. I think I missed something. Yeah, there it is. Word and deed. 
That's what we're supposed to do in our missions. Proclamatory and practice. Proclaim and practice. Now, my man Harvey Kahn, God rest his soul, um, one of my mentors through reading from far away, says Christians today increasingly find themselves forced to choose between evangelism and engagement in social action. Now, before you get scared because you're so social, we don't, we don't believe in a social gospel, but we do believe in a spiritual gospel that has social implications. The text says that right here. We'll talk about that in a second. Oh, before I go there, go to verse 14 of chapter 2. He says, who gave us, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people in his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now look at verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, and let our people learn. Lord, have mercy. He said, let us learn. He said, this is not something you just do. You got to learn how to do this. To devote themselves to good works. Why? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be found unfruitful. Wow. So he wants Christians to go beyond. Now, he does tell them to help Zanus and Nosecats, but they're on their way to do mission. So he's telling them to support missions financially and with good works in their context to their city. And so, and within the evangelical community, too frequently, it is, the cho- it is a choice of a, for evangelism. Richard Mao relates how one man expressed it in a recent conversation. He says, I suppose that there is some room for Christians to wrestle with social issues. He says, but, but, he says, but that's not my choice. He says, I see my calling as one of engaging in evangelism. You know, I got to get on the block and just tell somebody. He said, I spend my time winning souls for Christ. Social action is something I'll leave to the liberals. So Jesus shouldn't have fed the 5,000 then. Jesus shouldn't have healed the man by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus shouldn't have fed the 4,000. I'll just keep going. You want me to keep going? Jesus shouldn't have raised the person from the dead. Now, all of those good works that Jesus did was to show something about his character to the people he was reaching. That's why at the end of feeding the 5,000, he says, I know you ate that bread, but I am the bread. Ego I me. He said, so believe in me. He said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life. They wanted more bread, but they didn't want none of him. So it's both and, word and deed. Jesus did both word and deed ministry. All right? So the grand apologetic. Mercy has impact. When we say mercy, we're talking about the act of doing good works based on um, the parable of the Good Samaritan when Jesus said, who showed mercy? It melts hearts. It removes obstacles. It forces respect out of those, out of even those hostile to the gospel. Our good deeds glorify God in the eyes of the world. We don't say that good deeds save. Let me, let me just explain that. We're not saying that that's a saving act. That Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection is saving. Not the good works, but it's to point to the person of Christ. Okay? Our concrete deeds of love for one another are an apologetic for the validity of the Christian faith. By this all men will know that we are his, uh, uh, you are my disciples if you love one another. Talking about not just Christians' love for Christians, but Christians' love for the lost. So that should look like something. So, so good, worth, good works are a natural outgrowth of sound doctrine. Or it's not really sound. Or you're not walking in it. So now, what we're trying to do, we're trying to recover. The recovery. An interest in urban ministry in past uh, years by evangelical establishment promises to be an excellent opportunity for winning ethnic minorities. We must realize, though, that ministering in the inner city requires a holistic gospel. That means we believe that the Bible teaches that the gospel impacts everything. Everything. That Jesus, when it says that everything was made for Christ, that means he has vision for everything. Jesus doesn't have a limited vision. That means it impacts money. Not that you're going to become bombastically rich, but that it impacts your money. That means he'll provide all your needs according to your riches and glory. But you got to seek the kingdom first. Amen. Seek the kingdom. Remember that. But he will supply your needs, not your greeds. And so so, so a holistic, it impacts manhood and womanhood. 
it impacts the teen pregnancy rate. It impacts abortion. It impacts how you think, even how you dress, how you date, how you court, how you rent instead of buy. It impacts everything. You have to ask yourself the question when we're talking about holistic mission is what does the gospel say about that? Now, we're not talking about a reductionistic understanding of the gospel, reducing the gospel to one aspect of it. That's called legalism. Because we always want to take something big that God presents to us and reduce it to something that we can handle. That's another conversation. And so, but the gospel is holistic. And, and God is calling us to be, all, be this to our city, Philly. So, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? He said, GC, Jesus, I like him, he's so cool. You know why? Because you can call him titles, but he's looking at your heart. You're looking at your heart, you're like, Lord, Lord. He said, why you, he said, why you call me that? <laughs> That's what he's saying right there. And, and do not do what I tell you. <laughs> he said, Uri one who comes to me and hears my word and does them. He went slang like a mug right here. He said, I will show you what he is like. This is, I'm going to give you two examples. That's what he said. He said, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well, well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. It's talking about doing. Now let's talk about what that looks like. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So what's the process of transformation? Information minus application leads to constipation. Leads to being locked up. Yeah. Wanted to make it real clear for you. Application minus information equals contamination. But information plus application leads to transformation. That's his goal. For us as Christians. So, what empowers us to do good? The gospel. <laughs> we don't do good in our own power. We don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we're saved. So, we're in the mentoring season. So, in this process, developing mentoring leadership philosophy and strategy. We're to develop as a church plant, like we talked about, developing a mentoring process for healthy, healthy disciples. Develop mentoring process for group or small groups, cipher groups here, and ministry leaders, develop process, develop mentoring process for pastors and deacons, and developing mentoring process for church planters. So we'll talk about all of this, and I'm about to lay out where we are in relation to all of these as the goals of the fourth season of the seventh seasons of church planting and where we're going as a church in relation to this. We have, a trans, we have transient members and attendees. That means we're in a city where people don't just say, oh, man, I'm really dreaming about Philly. I really want to move there. Like, we lost 300,000 people over the last years, few years. So we have a transient populace, college students, young professionals, young married, just a very, very transient populace. That means that we'll have a high turnover rate all for the life of the church unless God changes the nature of the way the city is made up with more jobs, um, more connectivity, um, detached houses with yards. Amen, somebody. Houses with closet space. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you, if you bought a house or rent one, you know what I'm talking about. All right? But what happens is those monetary things makes a city like 50, a, a, a Philly, have, have transient populaces unless people are indigenous. And we'll talk about that later. We have a heavy singles population. We're over 90% single. So most of the people that come here are single. Looking around and carrying on. But we've also become ingrown. We're very concerned about our needs. What's for me? What can you do for me? How can you help me? 
How do you minister to me? Take care of me. We become ingrown and we've gotten off mission. Because we deal with epiphany issues so much that we don't deal with engaging the world. We got trust issues. Our generation has trust issues. Multiple churches within one church. That's going to get encouraging in a minute. Don't get too depressed, but we just got to be real with where we are. This is where we are. Self-assessed spiritual maturity. In other words, I say I'm mature. People don't acknowledge that I'm mature. And a misunderstanding of what that maturity looks like. Therefore, the assessment is off when you're told you're mature. Challenge with connecting regular attendees. So we're not connecting with people that regularly attend well. Theoretical buy-in to mission and core values. We can recite them, but we're, we need to live them out. Excitement, though, for people to meet Jesus. We're very, very excited about that, I think. Passion to see Epiphany reflect commu the, the community from an indigenous perspective. You know, one of the things that we see is we see people, we're a regional church, so people come from the region, even though some of you live in the community, but the main people that live in the community that come to Epiphany are college students, but the indigenous populaces of the poor around here don't come, which the average household income around here is between fifteen and 20000 for the whole household. That's below the poverty line. We don't, we, we don't keep those kind of people in here. And we're going to talk about needing to create an environment for broken people in a minute. Love for Sunday morning worship gatherings. We have a passion for expositional preaching and teaching. We're replanning. I talked to Mark Driscoll recently. He was just talk, telling me, he was saying, look, every year of a church, you replant it every year. Every year with a new or different core group. He said, I just replanted Mars Hill with 8,000 people. He said, so however many people that God has blessed Epiphany with, you're going to have to replant the church with that. So we're going through a replanting period with a brand new core group of people, you. Therefore, it takes comprehensive commitment. That means if, even if you're a college student, you can't put your Christianity on hold because you're not home. And some of us are going to have to, who become a member of Epiphany Fellowship, have to begin calling this your home church instead of talking about an old home church because that shows us and God no buy-in. It's very important to what he's doing. That doesn't mean we exonerate what God has done in the past, but we do need to move forward in that and talk about But we have to replant. Next, in danger of becoming a come-and-see church instead of a go-and-engage church. In other words, come to our worship gatherings and see us. Now, when we look at the first tier of Epiphany, most 50, most, almost all the people that trusted Christ didn't tr trust Christ during a worship gathering. It was because people were on mission and engaged people at work, school, where they lived and dwelled, led them to Christ, and then they came to a worship gathering. So they didn't bring them to church for the pastor to give them the gospel. Ethnic diversity in our community life and missional practice. That means we are going to be an ethnically diverse church because of where God has put us and where we are. Most of our first service today, two-thirds of it was white. Now, there's another group that's rising here at Epiphany Fellowship, which are our people that's African and black and and... You know, we got like quarter this, I'm quarter Indian in my blood, I'm quarter this and I'm quarter that. You, and so we got people that's, that's multi-ethnic because they're different. We got some couples, a bunch of, over half of our marriages here are inter-ethnic or interracial marriages. Amen. So we're going to, we are and we're going to be an ethnically diverse church. That's just the way it's going to be because of where we are and who God has given us the grace to engage. So if you're going to have a problem with that, you're going to struggle here. Because we're going to have some white people, some Puerto Rican people, some black people, some Filipino people. You know what I'm saying? Some El Salvadorian people, some African people. We're going to have, what else? Uh, some, yeah, everything. 
Italians, Jews. We got some Jews here and some Italians, some Asians. Amen. So you got to watch your jokes now. You can't be. <laughs> Amen. Watch your jokes now. Somebody may look black. They may be something else and go unspiritual on you. You know what I'm saying? So watch your mouth. We added four pastors to help lead the church. Now we need ten deacons by the fall. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Not clear who is committed covenant community. That's very important. We got we to gotta be clear on that. Need all covenant community to commit to covenant responsibilities. Because people signing covenants and ain't doing nothing. Ain't giving. Ain't serving. Ain't sharing their faith. And ain't ministering to nobody. That's, that's, this is, if, listen, if you coming here to receive, this is not, alone, this is not the place for you. I'm just telling you. Find another spot where that's, that's going to be healthy. But you're going to struggle here because we're going to call you to commitment. To Jesus and showing that commitment to his people and to the world, engaging the world. Now we, where we are, full-time, part-time volunteer staff. We have now a stewardship pastor, Pastor Nyron Burke. That will oversee all of our areas of administration, facilities, money. I mean, he runs all of that. I mean, he does an excellent job. He has two full-time. He doesn't amazing. Y'all don't understand how much work this cat does. Y'all don't understand how much work he does. He's working really three full-time jobs, his family, his work in corporate America, and Epiphany Fellowship. And so he's a great elder of the flock. And God is using him to help us to be stewardship sound so that when we stand before the God of heaven, we're able to give a good account of how we've stewarded his resources. We got another pastor, connections pastor, Pastor Doug, doing an excellent job. He wants to connect people on the fringes to all of the areas where they need help in and connect unbelievers to biblical community. So that's his role, and he's doing an excellent job at that. Our community life pastor will be Pastor Larry Smith. <laughs> pastor Larry Smith has done untold hours, just like these men, of work, of shepherding, of crying, of loving, of leading, of teaching, and helping God's people go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And he is going to be over all of our discipleship. All of it. Man to man. 3130. Cypher groups, blueprint, and he's going to be over some of our operations, which we'll talk about later. Our steward, our steward ministries pastor will be a Pastor uh, Curtis Dunlap. He will oversee children's ministry, junior high ministry, high school ministry, college ministry, and college and career ministry. All of that. So they're going to, those are your pastors. And they're going to oversee these areas plus shepherding. But we need all four of them full time. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> Life coaches. Sister Erica Mickles, we're going to be giving you some updates on her and what her role is going to be here and helping us start our Life Coaching Center right across the street. We're going to talk to you all about that in a minute. Building Operations Manager Daryl Bell. <laughs> and um, um, brother, brother Greg Gray um, and, and his wife Allison have graciously loan him to Epiphany for 10 hours a week to work for pay without us using any of our budget for it. Amen. Crazy. We're looking for an office assistant right now, so we'll be interviewing for that role, but we're going to need an office assistant bad, my little role. Now, a ministry to build. Now, 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 what do we do? We need to do inward and outward. Now, how do, what is this going to look like? Strengthening. And multiplying the cipher groups is going to be the first thing. Strengthening our cipher groups and multiplying them. That's Pastor Larry's role. going to be digging into that for us. Covenant renewal. We're going to rewrite the covenant and ask everybody to reconnect themselves to the covenant to Epiphany Fellowship. College Connection, which is going to be um, our brother Tommy Forrester, who's going to lead us in that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot his wife, Fatima, is going to be leading our jobs area for training, for training, resume development, the whole nine, and connecting people to a jobs unit through our website to make sure that jobs are posted. So if you need a job, you can just go to Epiphany's website. And if you don't know how to get one, she, gonna, she and her team are going to train you how to do it. Four blueprints, this Pastor Larry's area. Frequency is going to be the first one. Then we got three more for the rest of the year. Um, the Johnsons, who lead our marriage area, they're going to be helping us put on one for marriage in the fall. So we're going to have a marriage blueprint. Amen. For married couples. Marital enrichment, we already talked about that. Building also more pastoral staff full time. I just wanted to say that again. We really need that bad. Point of connection, which is Pastor Doug's connection piece. Emerge, which is every man equipped for relevant gospel engagement. He started that Friday night, and he did it with his uh, connections team and trained them in how to be missionaries to the city. And he's a beast at it, too. He never met a stranger. Um, <laughs> him and Sister Angel, we are so thankful they are here. Um, our stewardship development, which Pastor Nyron is going to help us to get in place a system for making sure that all of us are stewardship compliant. That means financially everything. So that we're able to be able to be all God wants us to be based on this stewardship series that we're preaching on. Ministers in training. I'm starting a ministers in training class this year on character, preaching, teaching, family, whole nine. It's going to be great. Deacons training. Now we're just going to do some ministry to the broken, though. Outward. Broken non-Christians. Yeah, brokenness. This needs to be a place where broken people can come and be broken. And we can walk with them. Jesus in these verses, I don't have time, spent time around broken people. Sharing his faith with them. Unbelievers. And looked crazy. It's time for us to start engaging broken. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. So the first area, we got three areas, blitz connections, local investment. First one is our mobile outreach. We're probably not going to do CCC no more. We spent $20,000 on that thing and saw no missional return on it. Gave Pastor Doug and Sam Cornette $1,500 last summer, did four outreaches, and saw all kinds of return on it. So much so, we do monthly manor once a month there by Sister Renata, who gets out on the block with her team. And they give out different things for morning breakfast and stuff and, engage, and just develop relationships with our community. This is our blitzing piece. Then the 10-minute party, Pastor Doug's going to talk about that later. Summer barbecue, we're going to do that again. These are just our blitzing joints. These are just some of them. Now, connection. Relaunch First Friday Fundamentals in the projects. Because of the outreach that they did last summer, God used them to do last summer, the community asked us to come back and stay down there. The, the, the board of the community center said, can y'all come down here and we want to, whatever y'all want to do with this, y'all can do with it. So now we're going we're gonna to renovate that space. We're going to ask you for some money for it too. Get them a sound system. And we're going to do First Friday. And we're not going to spend time in First Friday Fundamentals talking about how bad the world is and how good Christians are. Amen, lights and walls. We're going to develop an environment for where broken people who don't understand the truth can come and be loved from spiritual death to spiritual life, not railed upon and beat up. They sin because they're sinners. That's why Paul said in chapter 3, don't forget what you was like, fool. That's what he said. So we're going to love on them. Then they said, we got 25 to 40 kids around, youth around here, that we just want to give to y'all to start mentoring. So do, do what y'all want with them. We don't care what you, what, what you just here. <laughs> That's going to be a foothold into the 75% single parent home rate that we have in this community. So now we're going to need the sisters wait up. So when the mamas and the baby mamas come, amen that we don't dog them because they had a child out of wedlock. 
but we try to disciple them in a biblical philosophy of life. Somebody ought to hear me today. And then we're not going to beat up deadbeat dads, but we're going to share the gospel with them and disciple them about what it means to take care of your business. We're going to get our holiday events back, Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, more info will be given out on that. Glocal investment, residency program. This is our first resident here, um, Pastor Doug Logan, who we'll be planting in Camden next year. Um, summer internships, some people just keep calling and saying, we want to raise our own money and come and give our time to you guys this summer. So whatever you want us to do, just put us on staff for free and tell us what to do. So we got a group of summer interns coming for the summer that's going to serve the church this summer. On mission. Short-term mission trips, we're going to continue to send our college students on. And give money to that so that they can get to the world and we can see plant churches planted around the globe. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We're planting in Camden. I just wanted to tell you all that again. If I had some time, I had some time, I'd tell you just some stuff that God is killing already. We want to make sure that, and, and, and so do, uh, help this brother plant that church over there um, that we want him to see him leave with a quarter of a million dollars. I can't tell them about the city block stuff and all of that. We'll just keep that under, under the hat. There's some stuff that God is just doing. Planting a church in ATL. Then global investment. Youth area. Now our youth ministry is not going to be helping Christian kids from Epiphany Fellowship to have a youth group, but it's going to be an outreach-based youth group that's starting in July this summer, led by Pastor Kirk and the team that he's going to be developing to minister to lost kids on the block. Haitian support. We're going to ask you all for some more money for Haiti. Amen. And go. That's a whole nother conversation. Our after school program starting to fall. Seminary partnership where seminary is going to partner with us and we're going to have a seminary campus here at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, in two weeks, we're going to start our bookstore, which we have in all the books donated for free to start the bookstore. And we're going to be hiring for that role. God is just acting just up. So we're going to have a Christian bookstore in the basement for free. Church planning regional, where last year we did 300, we're expecting 300 this year. Church planning regional to help dudes plant all over the globe. A boot camp, which brings thousands of guys in to do that. Frequency. Urban Youth Worker Partnership. Now, this is historic. Y'all got to understand this. Now, I said this first. Now, Presbyterians... And like people, let me tell you something, not just Presbyterians. Denominational, denominations don't partner with people that aren't like them. Because if you don't agree on everything, they're not going to do it. You got to be one of us through our ordination, all this. Well, this is a historic partnership. Tenth Presbyterian pays half of Pastor Doug's salary. Another Presbyterian organization pays the other half of his salary so that he can be full-time here, help us with connections. We train him for church planting and send him to Camden. Now, when he plants, 10th Presbyterian and a middle upper class church is going to partner with a lower, a mid, lower middle, lower class church together to plant a church across the water in Camden next year. It has never been done. And so God now is having Christians work together to do what God has called them to do in the region. We shouldn't even talk to each other geographically. Ah, uh, help us, God. We got an assessment center here. I ain't going to go into that. Life coaching center. We're trying to buy that property across the street, and we're having a life coaching center and crisis pregnancy center in that building. So then we're going to need more money for that. We're buying that from the city of Philadelphia. Ah, uh, I wish I had time. I was, I, was, I was about to go in the movie with one of our partner churches. And this guy say, Eric, this white dude with an orange T-shirt on, just looking bright, right? And so I'm walking in the other spot, and, um, uh, um, um, and, um, and, I, and I, I, I turn around, and I, I look, and I say, yeah. He said, come in. I'm in Texas, and I'm preaching at, you know, the village. We had our partner church last week who gives us $25,000 a year. Crazy, right? So I go over, and he says, come in. He says, yeah, I'm coming with Matt next month. I want to look at that property so that we can build the playground next to y'all. We asked the community, what do y'all want? They said a playground, a safe place for my children to play. 
So we're going to have a playground built next to us to love on our community this year and see it done and worked out for. So we're going to be talking to y'all again about some stuff. <laughs> Property purchases and renovations. So I can keep going. I'm going to just stop. God is at work. God is at work. So now you see why. So now you see why you can't just come here and sit on your hands. You can't. It's too much to do. We need the older. We need the older. We need the older. Everybody said. And we need the younger. Working together for inter-ethnic, intergenerational, intercultural, inter-socioeconomic reconciliation in the gospel to impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're part of Acts 29 Network also, and so we're helping plant churches through your giving all over the globe, everywhere. South Africa is popping off. Europe is now its own thing. Um, Canada is popping off. Now Australia is about to pop off. We got 400 new churches in the pipeline waiting to be planted right now. 400 churches that need leadership, discipleship, and mission. Father, we thank you for your word, for your power, and for your grace. Help us not to become arrogant, but help us to become servants who honor you and glorify you in every sense of the word. And the reason why we do these things is because of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ is an implication of his character. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's prepare our hearts and minds.